The Home Ranch by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1956. Or chapter 28, A Lot of Horse. Lord God, you gave the horse its strength, its power, its mane, its hooves. Uh, you gave it the, uh, the ability to work with us as, and to let us enjoy and delight in the creature, Lord. Uh, we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks for every animal that we enjoy, whether it's... Uh, a fish we enjoy, a dog, a cat, or a horse. We give you thanks, Lord, that we have the, the privilege of, of delighting in that. In Jesus' name, amen. The trail herds got away from the home ranch at dawn Tuesday. At midnight Thursday, I was wakened by a horse racing into the yard. I jumped to the bunkhouse doorway as the rider slid the horse to a stop at the house. A minute later, a light came on and the man shouted, Telegram for Batch! His wife's bad off. Where is he at? Just as ribbon unwinds from a spool, the trail Mr. Bachelet and I followed across the prairies and down the big horse unwound in my head. With yearlings instead of two-year-olds, I knew he couldn't travel quite as fast as we had, and if he'd found water in Black Squirrel Creek, he wouldn't have driven on through the night. That ought to put him not far beyond the spot where we'd spent the night in the dust storm. <clears throat> I forgot to pull on my overalls and went running toward the house, barefooted and shouting, I know where to find him. I know exactly where to find him. Mr. Bent hadn't thought about dressing any more than I had and had come out to the kitchen porch in his long underwear. He didn't ask me where I thought Mr. Bashett would be, but called, Get dressed and throw a saddle on. I'll be with you in a minute. I pulled on my overalls, buckled the chaps over them, and kicked my feet into boots. As I did it, I made up my mind that I'd have my saddle on Blue Boy before Mr. Bent got to the crowd and told me I couldn't take him. Seventy miles at one stretch would kill old Pinch and Lady would have to take it easy in the easy gates. I didn't dare run to the horse corral for fear of exciting Blue Boy, but I'd saddled him enough times in the dark that I knew he'd stand if I took it easy. He did, and I was in the saddle by the time Mr. Bent reached the corral. He didn't pay any attention to what horse I had, but shook out his catch rope and stopped, and called, Stop by the house. Jenny will have grub and water ready. The excitement in Mr. Bent's voice set Blue Boy off like a skyrocket. He pitched and crow-hopped all the way to the house and was still rearing when Jenny passed me the grub sack and canteens. In the lighted doorway behind her, I got a glimpse of Mrs. Bent and the children huddled in their nightgowns. They all looked frightened, and the freckles on Hazel's white face stood out in a spatter. Blue Boy rounded the corrals and hit the wagon road with his head low and legs driving, as he always did on our night rides. Mr. Bent was on his tall buckskin, the fastest and toughest horse in his string. He spurred in behind me, shouting, Spare your horse! Spare your horse! Hold him in! I drew Blue Boy in little by little, but I couldn't take a chance on his fighting or possibly throwing me. Mr. Bent caught up with us at the end of the, of the straightaway and called, Hold him in! That pace would kill him in ten minutes. We got a night's ride ahead. We've got more than that, I called back, but he'll settle down in a mile or two. He always does. It was all of two miles before Blue Boy's head came up and he settled into the long swinging stride that I'd become used to. Mr. Bent still called for me to hold him in, but when I did, he bobbed his head and side danced. Mr. Bent watched him a minute or two and said, Fool, Maverick, all he knows is run. Leave him have his head and he'll, he'd kill himself. I should have put you on Juno. Then, after another quarter mile, he pulled alongside me and said, Don't you reckon we'd best go back and trade off for Juno? That blue devil won't last out 20 miles. I'd seen Blue Boy at the end of 20, mile fat, of 20 fast miles when he looked and sounded fresher than Mr. Bent's buckskin did right then, so I said, He'll settle down pretty soon and breathe good on a long run. 
You lead and I'll follow, but I'd rather go on with him if you'd let me. Fair enough, Mr. Bent told me. You know him better than I do, but I doubt he'll last out till daylight. There was no moon, but the stars were bright, and we could see fairly well. After we'd passed the thickest of the scrub oaks, I called. This is where we left the dust, the road on the dust storm trip. I think we headed almost due east. Reckon you remember how you went, Mr. Bent called back. Can see it in my head, I told him. I think I can remember most of the landmarks as we come to them. Lead off then, he called back. But leave me set the pace. Where you reckon we'll catch up to Batch? As I let Blue Boy come up alongside or beside the buckskin, I reined off the road and said, It'll depend on whether or not he found water in Black Squirrel Creek. If he did, he'll probably follow it down a ways, then cross to the Big Horse. If he didn't, he'll go straight east to cross the divide. Either way, I think it will be about 70 miles. <clears throat> as soon as I said 70 miles, Mr. Bent pulled his buckskin down to a, a jog trot. After half a mile, we loped again. In the starlight, I couldn't be real sure I was following the same route we'd taken before, and there were no trails. But when we reached the Colorado Springs-Denver High Road, we heard dogs barking on our right. They were at the ranch with two windmills. We stopped just long enough to let the horses take a few swallows of water, then loped on. East of the high road, our old route wasn't too hard to follow, and Blue Boy swung along in an easy, reaching gait. I pulled my cinch tight when I saddled him, but I didn't have time to be a... I didn't have to be afraid of his rearing or bucking anymore, so I loosened the knot till my fingers would slide under the ring. Before moonrise, the buckskin was blowing a little on the rises, and Mr. Bent let him down to a walk whenever the climb was a bit steep. I'd been keeping a sharp ear on Blue Boy's breathing, but he hadn't blown once since he'd caught his second wind, and he was running with his head well up. Mr. Bent guessed it to be about 3 o'clock when the moon rose. It was just a saucer of yellow light and seemed to be resting, tilted, on a dark row of hills to the east. Soon after, we came into the round valley with a little pond and the cottonwoods and stopped to let the horses drink. There were yearling tracks all around the pond, showing that Mr. Bachelet had, watered, had stopped to water and grazed his herd. From the pond east, the hills flattened out, and even with a little moonlight, it was harder to pick out landmarks that I remembered. It had been afternoon when I'd gone that way with Mr. Bachelet, and the, and the roll of the low hills looked different in the moonlight. Even Mr. Bachelet had missed the head of Black Squirrel Creek and in daylight, but he would have reached the creek where it turned south and we kept going. If I should get too far north, we'd miss it altogether, and then I'd be completely lost. After I worried about it for a few minute miles, I told Mr. Bent, I'm not too sure that we're going just exactly the way we went before. If we are and hold this pace, Black Squirrel Creek got to be about an hour ahead and a little bit to the south. I ain't so worried about Black Squirrel as I am about the pace, he told me. That dang blue maverick's got a gait that throws a man off pace. Fools him into overrunning his horse. Listen to the way Buck's blowing. Do you want to trade off, I asked him. I'm a lot lighter than you are. My weight would make it easier for him. Nope, nope, he said almost sharply. A man's horse is his horse. I ain't never took another man's horse, and I ain't going to now. Then we jogged on without talking until the buckskin stopped blowing. <clears throat> With me, hills are a lot like people. When I'm waiting to meet someone I've only seen once or twice, it's hard to remember just what he'll look like. But when he comes along, I couldn't mistake him. It was that way with the hill that Blue Boy had run up when the jackrabbit spooked him. The moment I saw it, I knew that the cottonwoods along Black Squirrel Creek stood just beyond it. There was water in the Black Squirrel, but yearling tracks showed that Mr. Bachelor had only followed it a little way before he turned east. It was gray dawn when we turned east with the yearling tracks and put our horses up the divide toward the big horse. It had 
been almost black as night when I'd gone over the route before and it had been too sleepy to remember landmarks if I could have seen them. But that didn't worry me. I knew the big horse ran toward the southeast and Mr. Batchelet would be at least 25 miles down it. There was no longer any reason for our following the old route. I reined to my right to cut across the angle and save every mile we could. The prairie stretched out in front of us like a great table with a brown velvet cover dropped over it in careless wrinkles. Beyond, the sky arched up in a deep cloudless blue, and between the sun rose naked, as if a giant hand were pushing a giant orange slowly above the edge of the table. Not a breath of air moved, and the sun threw out its heat before it was really before it was hardly above the horizon. By an hour after sunup, Buck was dripping sweat and blowing hard at every rise of the ground. Mr. Bent eased him, leaned low in the saddle, put a hand on his chest, and came up with his face set and worried. We jogged a half mile then, after we reached a flat tableland and were loping again, the buckskin began to weave in his stride. But Blue Boy was running as steady and quietly as ever. Mr. Bent drew the staggering buckskin to a stand, and as I brought Blue Boy around, he called out, Go on, go on, boy. Don't scare Batch no more than you need to, but tell him he's got to make the one o'clock train out of the springs. Then he waved, and I turned Blue Boy back toward the southeast. I didn't try to hold him in, but let him have his long-reaching, half-wild horse, half-thoroughbred gait. Among those low rolling hills and with the sun moving steadily to the south, it would have been easy to ride it in a curve, but I couldn't afford to waste a minute of Mr. Batch's time or Blue Boy's strength. Setting a course that I was sure was due southeast, I kept three checkpoints picked out ahead and never let my sight wander from them. I knew that would keep me in the same direction as the upper big horse, but that I could reach it soon after it, but that I should reach it soon after it turned south, not far below our dust storm camp. Of course, I couldn't tell Blue Boy we still had 20 or 25 miles to go, so he might gauge his own strength. I could only keep a sharp ear to his breathing, feel for any tremble in his shoulder muscles, and let him know that I wasn't pushing him. I kept low on Blue Boy's neck, holding my weight forward on his withers and talking the soft talk I'd learned from high. It didn't make any difference what it was. Poems, psalms, mother goose, anything to let him know I was trying to help him. I don't remember much about it except that I said the 23rd Psalm over at least a dozen times. I wasn't a bit afraid, but for some reason I couldn't get the psalm out of my head. It seemed to have just the right rhythm to keep Blue Boy's hoofbeats steady and even. Blue Boy's stride began to shorten on the rises. Now and then, a nerve twitched in his shoulder, and his breathing whistled a bit in his nostrils. I was worried for fear I'd let him run himself out or that I'd broken his wind, when, above the brown of the prairie, a dark line of green showed ahead and to my left. Columbus couldn't have felt happier when he sighted the shores of America than I did when I sighted that row of cottonwoods along Big Horse Creek. Before I knew I was even thinking it, I was chanting, We made it! We made it! We made it! In time with a beat of Blue Boy's hoofs. Ten minutes later, we topped a rise and Big Horse Valley lay below us with a herd of yearlings strung out along the creek. I yahooed as loud as I could yell and watched Mr. Batchelet whirl his chestnut away from the herd and come racing toward us. When he slid it to a stop, he sighed us. His face was set, and there was a gray tinge under his, sh under his tan that I had never seen before. But his voice was low and steady when he asked, What's the news? You had a telegram. It came at midnight, I told him. You've got to catch a one o'clock train from the springs. Good boy. Good horse. I can make it. Sixty miles, six hours, was all Mr. Bassett said before he spurred away. As I jogged Blue Boy down the slope, I watched Mr. Batchelet race his chestnut toward the horse string that was grazing along the front of the herd. His rope, his catch rope was swinging before he reached it, and in less than a minute he'd switched his saddle onto Starlight. 
The rest of the horses spooked away, but he had his iron gray snubbed to the saddle horn. We met where Hank was sitting as motionless in the saddle as if he'd been stunned. If Mr. Batchel was frightened or nervous, he didn't let it show in his voice or actions. As he tied his catch rope into a leather, into a lead halt, halter and slipped it over the gray's head, he said, Little Britches, you know the trail we followed before, hitting the Arkansas River below Nero Hill and working up towards Rocky Ford. Take what's left of my horse string and show Hank the same trail. Then he looked over at Hank and said, Trade where and how you can. I trust your judgment. If I ain't in Rocky Ford by the time you get there, trade on up to the Black Squirrel. Little Britches here knows the trail back to the home ranch. Then he swung into the saddle, but before he set spurs, he turned to me and said, Cool blue boy out good. He's too much horse to let founder. With a glance at the sun, Mr. Bachelet set Starlight's head a little to the north of west, set off a robust canter quartering up the slope beyond the creek valley. I knew that every 10 miles he'd be changing horses, that somewhere in front of him there'd be three checkpoints picked out, and that Colorado Springs would be 60 miles straight down that line of checkpoints. Wow. Quite the run. All right, I love you guys. Thanks for listening.